This podcast was produced on the lands of the Bunurong, Wurundjeri and Gadigal peoples of the Kulin and Eora nations. The Pierce Project wishes to acknowledge them as the traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome to Peers, a podcast by BIPOC founders for BIPOC founders. I'm Michelle Akidnor, proud biracial Australian and Forbes 30 Under 30 lister, and I'm your host and fellow peer. Join me for soul-enriching conversations with like-minded young BIPOC entrepreneurs from around the globe. Each week, I dive deep into the personal journey of my award-winning guests and unpack who they really are at their core and how they got started in business. With every episode, my mission is to empower you, expand what you think is possible, and hopefully make you feel less alone as a person of colour in business. Thank you so much for being here, peers. Hey, peers, and welcome back to the show. It's official. I am now living in none other than New York City. By the time this episode airs, I'll probably have been living here for at least a month or so. And honestly, peers, it is the most surreal feeling ever. And I'm just so excited. I'm so excited to be here. For those of you who don't know, living in New York and being here has been my dream since I started out on my entrepreneurial journey over six years ago now. And just like today's guest reminded me, sometimes you have to take the path less traveled in order to fulfill your dreams. It sounds so simple, but honestly, it's taken me six years to actually allow myself to experience this level of joy and to realize my dream. And so in today's episode and being here in New York, I am reminded to always trust my gut, follow my heart and just go for it. Right now, I'm sat here recording this and I'm looking out of my window my apartment. I'm living in a quintessential New York apartment in the West Village. So think leafy green streets, think Carrie Bradshaw's apartment in Sex and the City meets the Friends apartment, which honestly, all of them are right around the corner, which is so surreal. And, you know, right now, as I'm recording this, I'm looking out of my window and I can see the quintessential New York fire escape stairs running up the building opposite me and it's a bloody dream is all I have to say and I think I'm still in shock. I've only been here for about 10 days now. I think I've learned so much about myself being here for these last 10 days and about just letting go of the status quo and letting go of the expectations that we place on ourselves that hold us back from doing what we actually want to do. And that's been huge for me, shedding that over the last couple of years and really through this personal, spiritual, entrepreneurial journey, however you want to call it, that is really what we do. You know, that is really what it's about. It's about 
connecting with yourself on the deepest level and serving clients, customers, society, people out there to the best of our ability and to the best of your ability. And again, I'm reminded of this by being here and it's reflected in today's episode with the amazing Rachel Defoe. So today I'm chatting with BIPOC founder and Forbes 30 Under 30 lister, Rachel. Rachel is the founder of Redify, a strategic communications consultancy in Singapore that helps visionary founders, startups, and venture firms amplify their stories. Mm, I love it. And in this episode, Rach shares the first steps for getting your business off the ground, why building the right circle of people around you is just crucial, and my absolute favorite, how to carve your own path. Before we dive in, peers, I would absolutely love if you could please hit follow and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram. We're at The Peers Project and me on LinkedIn and Insta. I'm at Mish Akidanor. Okay, peers, sending you all the best vibes from the best city in the world, New York. And I really do hope you gain value from today's episode. Without further ado, take a listen. I run Redify in Southeast Asia. And essentially what I do is I work with founders as well as VCs to help them solve two things, reputation and credibility. My background's in PR. I have always worked around comms tactics, but essentially that's the two things we really solve for. Amazing. I love it. I love a nice PR, XPR. Oh, so cool, Rach. And, you know, I just can't wait to get deeper into your work. But I guess before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I just love so much because I think it allows us to really get to the core of who we are as entrepreneurs. So that question is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? So I was born in Singapore, where I'm currently living. But before I finished kindergarten, I actually moved to Australia, where I grew up in primary school, high school, uni in Melbourne. And then once I finished university and all of that, I decided I wanted to pick up the pace, explore what was in Southeast Asia. And I've been back here ever since for work. So it's been really interesting. It's what I call a reverse culture shock. So yeah, it's been a wild ride. Oh my goodness. That's so interesting that you had spent so much time in Australia, but that you were born kind of, you know, in Singapore and then went back, you know, talk to us a little bit about what that reverse culture shock was like for you heading back over, starting your business there a couple of years later. What was that like for you? So funnily enough, growing up in Melbourne, when you tell folks that you're Asian and you're from Singapore, that sort of satisfies the answer, right? But Being Singaporean and going back to Singapore, working with Singaporeans, I realized that Australia may have impacted the way that I see, speak and navigate the world. So it was really interesting that when I started working, I really noticed, hey, actually, maybe I'm a little bit different and people are also recognizing that too. I've learned to sort of take it in its stride and actually see it as a really positive thing. And at the very least, it's a great icebreaker, right? 
Oh my goodness, absolutely. I mean, who doesn't love Singapore? I'm Melbourneian, so for me it's like, oh, also love Melbourne, but you know, oh, no, I love that. For our peers out there listening who perhaps have gone through that, maybe not the exact same transition, but are going through quite an intense transition in their lives. Maybe it's going back to a home country or moving to a new one or perhaps turning their side hustle into a full-on business. What advice would you give to us around becoming okay with the process and the transition, even though it may feel really uncomfortable? I think that discomfort feels a little more palatable when you realize that it just needs time. It's all about just working through the process of it all. Even for myself, it wasn't just, you know, the culture shock. It was coming to terms with a whole different industry. I'd studied art history and being thrown to the communications world, it was like learning a lot of things from scratch. And it really was just a process of like, you know, paying your dues, being in it, getting the experience and knowing that, you know, it's all just part of it. What was the most challenging part of going from art history to communications? You know, actually it was a lot more organic and an easier transition than I thought because outside of, you know, what I was studying and all of that, I had been spending a lot of time around editorial teams, PR teams. And that was actually the reason why I decided to take the leap into communications because I realized I am spending a lot of time in the industry already isn't this what I want to do on a day-to-day basis? And I think that was like the interesting shift when I thought about, you know, what career to pick. Because in academia, you think about what am I good at? Okay, let's go with that. But the real question you should be asking yourself is what do I want to do day-to-day that is going to make me fulfilled? And when I really spent time thinking about what I get the most energy from and what I enjoy spending my energy on, I realized, you know, the communications world, the startup world was really where I wanted to be at. How could we get better at figuring out literally that question? What do we actually want to be spending our day-to-day doing? Like, how can we figure that out for ourselves? You know, I think a very big mind switch that I had a while back was doing away with the idea of work-life balance and thinking more about work-life harmony. So I would really ask myself, if I'm doing this, do I feel energized? Is this what I want to scale up in my life right now versus do I need to spend more time away from it? And the more that I did that, that's when I really was more conscious about, okay, I really do like spending my time here. Even when it's hard, I want to really be in the midst of it. So that was really just part of my decision-making process. So, so valuable. I think it can get really confusing. At least for me, it was like, I had no idea what I wanted to do and who thought I'd ever end up in podcasting? Although I do love to speak. You know, I think it can get really confusing when you've studied something and when you're perhaps on a more kind of linear journey and you don't really see many people around you going off and really leaning into what they care about in terms of as a profession versus just as a hobby. So I guess for you, was there ever a time where you thought, you know what, I actually need to make things I would do as a hobby, quote unquote, into my job or kind of somehow try and align it so I can enjoy my time? Or was there ever that pivotal moment for you where you had to at least think about that? And if so, what advice would you give around really just getting clear on that shift? 
on my side of things, I realized that I did a really poor job at things when I wasn't feeling fulfilled creatively. So it wasn't so much about, I want to turn this hobby into a job. It was more about, I'm only doing my best work when I'm feeling energized, when I'm being surrounded by people, whether it's clients or teammates that really inspire me, or, you know, I love engaging in this type of conversation. And it was really only when I thought about, okay, now that I'm fulfilled creatively, is this a career path? If it's not, how do I create it? And that's sort of how I landed on Redify, which is my business today. I looked at all the career options in communications and I really felt that none of them spoke to me. So I wondered, you know, could I carve out a different path to sort of fulfill that gap? So cool. And how did you go about carving out that path? So when I really looked at the communication space, it felt like there were two options. One, you'd be working in an agency where you're running around headless, always working to a certain pace. Or two, you're working in-house where in startup world, you're really a one-person department. You're the only person who knows comms. You are kind of the only expert in the room and you always have to educate your peers in your office about, you know, what you're doing. And when I looked at that, I was like, well, actually, I think there's sort of a third need there, which is what if we could slow down the pace of comms, bring a lot more strategy and decision-making into it before we execute on anything. And that's where I landed on the people side of the solution for Redefy, which is how can I bring somebody into early stage startup that understands reputation and credibility and can be that sparring partner for the CEO or management team before they're ready to build out that full-fledged comms function. That was really the catalyst there. So brave. That's all I have to say. (laughs) So brave. I think listening to your trajectory, you know, not having studied that, then leaped into that world of PR and then kind of moved back to Singapore and then started your business and almost created a niche that wasn't traditionally there before, you know, for you, where do you think that bravery comes from? Oh, I do not see it as bravery at all. Maybe it is. I don't know. But for me, I saw it as a point of survival, honestly, in terms of where am I going with this career? Because I had spent time in the agency world. I've spent time in the big firms as well as the smaller ones, being the second employee in a firm as well. And after all of that, realizing nothing quite fits. So either I pick up a new skill chart a completely different career, or I try and build the job that doesn't exist. And where did the decision come to launch your business in Singapore versus perhaps going back to Australia? I can only imagine the networks you built up here, spending majority of your life here. You know, I can't even imagine how much more perhaps difficult it would have been to launch a business in a new market or in a market that you hadn't really spent much time in. What was that decision-making process like? And what were those few steps that you took trying to get it sorted in Singapore? By the time I'd started Redify, I had already built up a pretty decent network around Southeast Asia. I had also dabbled a bit in the Web3 world where I learned that 
you don't need to be in the same geography or you don't need to be in a place to really make an impact there because of how online the world is. So it was a bit of everything that came together. But honestly, by the time I started Redefy, it was more about, okay, I really see that there's an opportunity gap here. I could have what it takes to do it. So why not? What do you think holds us back from taking the leap? I think a big part of it is risk evaluation. I think also as individuals, it's very easy to catastrophize what might happen, right? So there's a lot of reasons to not decide something when you evaluate all those risks. But at the same time, there are also a lot of very practical ways we can approach those risks. So for instance, somebody who might be thinking about building a startup, they don't have to quit their job on day one. They might be able to build a prototype and test the market before they jump and leap into it. Or if somebody's in the communications field, they could always freelance and do a bit of side hustling while they figure out their product market and what they can offer the ecosystem as well. So it doesn't have to be all guns a blazing. And when you kind of get to the 50, 60% mark, that's when you really need to ask yourself, okay, am I prepared to now go all in now that I have a clearer picture of what it is? And if so, am I ready for that change? I think a lot of accidental founders, maybe even myself, I consider an accidental founder. We didn't fully know what we were exactly diving into. And that's a tough thing if you're not prepared to push through with it. But I think given the world we live in today, there's a lot of opportunities to connect with other folks in different industries to get a sense of what was your journey like and how do I mentally prepare? How do I rally the sort of support that I need? For me, a part of that was actually also thinking about outside of work, do I have a solid support network who can be that ear when I am done with the day and I just need to rant and I can't talk to anyone else? And thankfully for me, I had that in my family and partner. So that really saw me through. I love how you say accidental entrepreneur because I actually feel like all of us in some way feel that and the quote unquote, try to be prepared for the journey. I feel like at least from the founders I've spoken to and my own experience, like you just fall flat on your head as soon as you dive in. So, you know, I think that just gives us all so much comfort hearing that you also had that experience, you know, and it's so interesting. You talk about that support network. I want to speak a little bit about the dark side of business. I feel like often it's not spoken about. I feel like we see these beautiful lists and Forbes and a 30 and gorgeous social media pages. And I'm absolutely a corporate. So, you know, I used to think this, but I think what's interesting is that the journey is just so often the complete opposite of what you see online or what you may think. Could you talk to us a little bit about the dark side of business and what that meant for you, especially in the early days? I think the hardest thing about starting your own gig is the loneliness of it. Because when it comes down to it, when you're running a business, like you're the only person who 
understands the responsibilities. You're the only person who has to answer for things like salaries and things like, you know, what's happening next month and all of that. And that's an immense amount of pressure. That's why I think it's super, super critical to look at the support network that you have in the industry and outside of the industry. For me, beyond family and friends, I've made it a habit to, I call them my sanity checks. I have a few industry peers in my life, whether, you know, the other PR agency heads or startup leads or even people, completely different people in the comms field. I have running calendar invites with them either on a biweekly or monthly basis. And there's no agenda. And all we really do is just catch up and say, hey, you know, this was hard. Can I just talk you through with it? And sparring those ideas of people with different perspectives is always incredibly useful. And at the very, very least, it makes you feel a lot better when you hear someone say, oh man, I went through that too. (laughs) Or if you hear someone say like, I don't fully get it, but I empathize with it in these few ways. And also on the flip side of it, a very important thing is make sure you have people in your life who do nothing in your space. I'm so thankful for the friends who I talk to and they're like, hey, can we switch topics? I don't want to talk about Black Mirror. I don't care about tech. Let's talk about selling Sunset or something completely different. And that's also very needed too, because sometimes folks like us, we don't know how to take a break mentally. (laughs) Switch off. (laughs) Amen. How can we get better at building the right kind of circle and finding the right people to surround ourselves with? I think it's about looking for folks you can trust. And that only really happens when you do put yourself out there, right? It's hard to tell in a networking setting. I think we've all been at networking events where you meet like 20, 30 different people and then you're like, okay, cool, let's catch up for coffee. And then do you catch up for coffee? And if you catch up for coffee, is there an agenda? I have this one friend in my life, so funny, but we met a couple years ago at a networking event and we also had the, yeah, oh my God, we get along, let's grab a drink sometime. And we never did. And a year later, she messaged me and said, hey, I'm so sorry I never followed up. We should still grab that drink and work aside. Let's just chat as people. And today she is one of my closest friends. So I think it's just about keeping open for opportunities and also looking out for real human people you can trust. Real human people. Yes. Yes, Rach. (laughs) I so resonate with that. I love it. I want to dive a bit deeper into the journey of the business. So you're in Singapore, you've come off the back of this career, you decide to launch your company. What happens next? Like, how do we even go about those first couple of steps to get our business off the ground? I've always been a big believer in building community without any underlying intent or anything like that. And a big few catalysts to my business was actually helping out with a few community initiatives. So when COVID first struck and there was that big first round of layoffs that kind of shocked the world 
and no one was prepared for. A bunch of friends of mine in the VC as well as tech space, we came together and said, what can we do to help? Between us all, we're like, okay, we have a network. I was like, I can reach out to media. What can we do? And all we did was put together a Google spreadsheet, told folks, hey, if you're laid off, put your name there. Hey, if you're looking for a job, if you're looking to hire, please, you know, put a job listing here. And it was really a page with a bunch of links. But I think that really took off and helped a lot of people find placements. And it wasn't just like intern level folks. It was even like country heads who said, hey, I am now a CTO of this tech firm because you connected me with these folks. None of us were HR people, but it was just about, okay, let's bring the community together. And once that ecosystem came together, there was a lot more organic conversation of, hey, Rach, I saw you did that. I have a few questions about comms. Can you help me out with that? And really, it was through a lot of those conversations that I sort of found my first clients. That's why I like to say it's an accidental business because all I was trying to do was say, you know, if I take a pause of my career right now and I just ask, what can I contribute that's of value to the ecosystem? It was a bunch of conversations. And from there, the business really took off. Oh, my goodness. It sounds so serendipitous. I'm guessing it actually was, you know, for our peers that they're listening, he might just think, oh, right, why can't I just do that? You know, why can't I just take a moment off and just really contribute? And like, will that happen to me too? Like, why isn't that happening for me? You know, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who just feel like they're a bit stuck? Like they don't know if, you know, their job or their side hustle's going anywhere or their business and they just are struggling to figure out what the next step is. If you feel like you're in a rut, that's the best time to create something, even if it's totally not professional work related, just create something that gives you a bit of energy. Because I think even if it's outside of your space, being able to say, hey, I did this mini art project or, hey, I volunteered at this thing and helped contribute in this way. That's a really great way to pick up morale. And then from the find some time to reflect, think critically about what you want to do next, and then just keep creating. I think a lot of what I did, I wouldn't suggest it as a blueprint for anybody else. I just look at it more as like, what are the very practical things that I did that helped me make the next decision. Because ultimately that's all we can do, right? We can just look at the opportunities in front of us, make a choice, and then reflect on what that choice has led to. And just know that the more steps that you take, it is going to get you somewhere. You're not going to notice it in the middle of being there. But when you look back and think about, okay, hey, I actually did this much then that's a pretty amazing thing. I did not know I was going to start a company even months into starting working with different clients. It was really when some of those clients were like, hey, Rach, I think you've actually started a business here. And me going, have I? Should I? (laughs) So that's really the story there. You mentioned it's all just a string of choices and decisions. What's a recent choice and decision that you've made that you were really worried or perhaps put off making 
just like we always do, I can think of one right now (laughs) that I'm putting off that you ended up making and what was your analysis of the result? So I think a recent choice that I made was to spend a good chunk of my time on a networking event, not really knowing whether it was a bit too saturated because, you know, events have come back in a storm. Do people even really want to still come together and network and et cetera? And we really, really went all out for this one. And it did pay off in a very unexpected way, which is that we had lots of folks attend and off the back of it, was really excited to hear that a few individuals actually connected post-event and it led to some business opportunities for them. So my analysis of all of that was that sometimes all you need to do is get smart people in the room and trust that they're going to have smart conversations. And yeah, planning to do a bit more of that going forward too. So true. I often think that like, I am like often the dumbest person in the room. And I'm just so happy about that. And I think when I find that maybe it's not the case, I just go, oh my goodness, I've just got to find another room or something, you know, it kind of circles back to, I guess, a lot of things we were speaking about before around community and support system, but how can we get into those rooms where we're surrounded by super smart people and yet feel okay within ourselves that we may not know it all and that the person next to us may be smarter as high achievers. How do we get okay with that? I think getting into those rooms is one thing that's always tough, right? Depending on who you want to connect with. And I think it's all about being smart about how you reach out to certain folks or there's always industry events and things happening. So making the most of those. But in terms of holding your own in those conversations, I think go in arming yourself with smart questions. Nobody's going to fault you for not knowing some deep tech engineering specific thing, but they may walk away from a question that you've asked feeling like, oh yeah, that helped to push the conversation a little bit more. Or, oh, I didn't have that perspective before. So I think having smart questions and having like a natural curiosity about things is always super helpful. So true. That's why I practice on a podcast. I mean, it's always always such an easy way, a nice way to go about it. Oh my goodness, I love this. Before I kind of go into a bunch of final questions, I want to speak to some of the failures that perhaps you've experienced through your journey to date. You know, was there one kind of big failure that you just felt was quite defining and that you know, almost perhaps maybe shape what you did next or your next step. And what is your relationship with failure like? The easy answer is that I see failure as part of the process. So it's just something you have to push through, but that's easier said than done, right? When you're in the middle of it, it is really, really hard. I think the one thing that's probably closest to that is a hire that I had brought on at one point that wasn't really a great fit for my team. And they're a fantastic person, really skilled on their own, but it was just not being prepared for a startup environment. And not that we're working crazy hours, but it is a lot less structured, a lot less familiar. So after speaking with them, we just had like an honest conversation of, is this really what you want your next steps to be? And if it's not, that's 
really okay too. And that was really hard to move through and ask myself critically, okay, could I have preempted some of this by taking the interview process a different way or looking out for certain things? And I think I had to be a bit forgiving to myself as well and say, you know, there are certain things that we could have never seen. We could never have seen certain personal situations coming up and et cetera. But at the end of it, both of us walked away with a really positive conversation and really clear next steps of firstly, what did they want to do next and how could I support their next journey? And more on my side, how do I make a better decision next time too? So yeah, that was a very interesting learning process. People. That's all I have to say to that one. People, hey, so tough to get it right. And I just commend you. Rach, it's just been so insightful, enlightening, just so great to hear your journey and your story. And I have a couple of final questions for you. And the first one is, so this podcast is a podcast by BIPOC founders for BIPOC founders. For you, how has your culture helped or hindered you along the way? I think my culture almost being like a third culture kid as well and not really being in one place for too long at any point of my life, it's made the uncomfortable my comfort zone. And that's been a very big blessing in disguise because I am that person who's ready to run into a difficult situation, guns are blazing. And it's also made me appreciate and be more sensitive to what other folks have been going through. So I think that perspective is invaluable, especially when you're in the communication space and you have to consider the perspectives of different folks and you have to consider which voices should I be bringing into the conversation to make sure that it's authentic, real and representative of the world that we live in. Yes, I love it. Look, Rach, over the last three and a half years since you started your business, you've really gone from strength to strength. In amongst the challenges, the struggles that business brings, you've received a lot of recognition for your work. And most notably, you were featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list of 2023. What are three key pieces of advice that you would give to our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? I think advice that I would have found invaluable is firstly, it's okay to take a break and pause. I think there is immense value in that because when you do take those breaks and recharge, you come back a lot stronger and a lot more energized. I think another thing I would probably advise is surround yourself with kind people because sometimes you're not always going to be the kindest to yourself. And thirdly, I think I would say figure out ways to give back because everybody who's poured into you, that is somebody who's made a decision to use a resource, give their time, etc. And I think as human beings, somebody who's experienced that should try to figure out how they can give that back tenfold. Look, right. before I ask you the final question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us young, BIPOC, ambitious women 
that, you know, if we have this vision, this goal and this dream for something that feels more fulfilling, you know, for a job that doesn't really feel like a job, although it's a lot of hard work, that can become our reality. We can make a job that doesn't exist and it can be something that we live and for that we really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And and right back at you too. Amazing. So the final question is how we finish every episode of Peers. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I think the greatest value of following what you're most passionate about and pursuing it is being able to create the life that you really deserve and creating the life that you're proud of living. And yeah, nobody can ever take that away from you. I love it. Oh, thank you so much, Rach. We've had a blast. This has been so awesome. Where can we learn more about you and Redify? You can find me on LinkedIn, Rachel Defoe, D-E-F-O-E, or you can go to Redify's website, rdfy.co. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Peers. If you're liking what we're doing here and resonate with our mission of amplifying BIPOC founder stories, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Also, head over to our Instagram and follow us. We're at The Peers Project. And you can connect with me personally on LinkedIn and Insta. I'm at Mish Echidinal. I adore you oh so very much, Peers. Until next time.